All right, so we're picking up here in, um, really in the fifth verse of the 12th chapter. And as, as we return to our study in the epistle, you know, of course, we're, we're picking up right in the middle of uh, this exhortation that the author is giving to his readers, uh, encouraging them to persevere, encouraging them to endure, uh, warning them against uh, turning back from their commitment to Christ and challenging them and uh, pointing them back in their history to others that have uh, exercised their faith under difficult circumstances and uh, calling them to, to emulate those, those people from history past, Abraham and Sarah and um, Moses and David and, and people like that. But then you remember he brought us to the ultimate example in perseverance and endurance, and that's Jesus. So reminding them to, to look to Jesus. He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. And it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he, sa he says to them that they, even though he doesn't diminish the fact that they are suffering, he says that you You've not suffered as severely as others have, for you have not yet resisted to uh, the shedding of your own blood, striving against sin. And then he says this, and you have forgotten. So there was something that they'd never really uh, factored into the suffering that they were experiencing. And what that was, he said, was they had forgotten that whom the Lord loves he chastens. So that was something that they didn't, they didn't factor into their experience. That what was going on with them was actually a, a chastisement from the Lord. Now, as we look at the, the whole picture of what was happening with them, uh, these are some of the things that we see. They were neglecting their salvation because the, the writer warned them against doing that. They were neglecting their salvation. Uh, they had grown dull of hearing. Uh, spiritually, their hearts had become hard. Uh, they had failed to progress in their faith, and they were entangled in sin. And yet, seemingly, they were oblivious to the fact that these kinds of things would bring about... Uh, God's discipline. Sometimes troubles and difficulties in our lives as believers can be due to discipline on God's part. Now, that's not always the case. We need to be clear about that. But there are times when our suffering and our afflictions can be directly linked to uh, disobedience in our life. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of affliction, when we find ourselves uh, facing you know, various difficulties, we should always, I think just as a, a good rule, we should always just ask ourselves the question and ask God the question as well. But we should ask the question, is there something that God is wanting to um, correct me on? 
in my life as his child? Are, are these circumstances that I'm going through, are, are these intended by God to be disciplinary? Are they intended by God to be corrective? Because it might very well be the case. But like them, we might not have ever considered that. We might just be thinking, well, you know, why is this happening to me? And I don't like this. And what kind of a God uh, is there who would allow me to experience these kinds of challenges and hardships and so forth? But it could very well be the case that these things have been allowed by God to come into our lives for the very purpose of getting us back to where we need to be. David, in the Psalms, he wrote uh, much about the Lord's discipline. He wrote about his own experience of it. Uh, In Psalm 119, David wrote these words. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then a little further on in the Psalm, he said, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So this, this is just one example. Many of the Psalms have similar kinds of things where David is acknowledging that he is being corrected by God. His sufferings are the direct result of God's intervention to discipline him in order to do that work in his life that he wants to do. So this is something that we have to be uh, conscious of, that there are times when this, this is going to happen. There, and like I said, it's not always the case that when we go through these types of things that it's a, a direct discipline from God, uh, but sometimes it is. But there's also the element of training that he actually refers to here. Um, God sometimes allows hardship to come into our life as a, as a means of training us and further strengthening us and further equipping us to be the people that he's called us to be. So those are kind of just the preliminary things to keep in mind as we move forward here. So as we look uh, back at the text from verse 5 on through verse 13, there are three things that, that we see that I want to uh, highlight for you. Number one is that God, as a good, loving father, disciplines his children. Secondly, discipline or chastening uh, is painful. There's no question about that. And then thirdly, God disciplines us for uh, our own benefit. And then finally, we want to see how we respond to that. So Looking at the first point, God is a good, loving father, disciplines his children. And that's what we're told here. You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Think of that word for a second, despise. And that's sometimes what we do. We despise this. But he says, don't despise it. Because it's actually beneficial to us. Now, I... I don't ever remember as a kid when I was disciplined, I don't ever remember um, welcoming the discipline. And you know, from certain generations, you know, we, everybody kind of repeats this from generation to generation, you know, how, how as a parent, the, you know, the parent would always say, you know, now, now listen, son, or, or listen, sweetie, you know, I'm doing this for your benefit. You know, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. 
And you know, when you're the kid on the receiving end of that, you think, oh, that's ridiculous. How could that be the case? But you know, when you become a parent, you kind of realize that that's true. You don't really want to have to discipline your child in a, in a way that's gonna be painful for them, but you know if you love them, you know that this is necessary. You know that it needs to be done. As a good, loving father, you are going to correct your children. And so a loved child will be corrected. And we're not to despise that correction. We're not to be discouraged when we are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son he receives. It's this chastening is an evidence to us of God's love for us. The book of Proverbs is full of instruction on uh, child discipline for parents. And the book of Proverbs reminds us that he that um, refuses to discipline his child actually hates his child. Now you think about that for a second. Some people in our culture today would say that that's absolutely crazy. People in our culture today think that any form of discipline, especially if it involves, uh, you know, spanking or something like that, they see that as just a completely negative thing. They see that as something that is unacceptable, and they, they see it sometimes as, as something that's hateful toward a child. But the Bible says no, just the opposite. If you refuse to discipline your child, the Bible says you actually hate them, because discipline is preventative. Discipline is corrective. Discipline in the, in the life of a child is preparing them for adulthood and it, it, it's meant to prevent them from things later in life that could destroy them uh, from, from happening. So the idea that somehow you actually love your child more if you never correct them is an idea that is completely contradictory to the biblical picture. A loved child will be corrected. You know, it's interesting how even even with children, there's something in a child that, that actually even at times cries out for discipline. And there's something in a child that there's even some sort of a sense that uh, that a lack of discipline is kind of a lack of love. And we've seen it many times over where, uh, you know, a child will just push the limits. You know, just, just get, kind of go out of control. Really, almost like looking for somebody to step in and discipline them. And when that discipline finally takes place, if it does... There's a sense of relief on the part of the child. There's a sense of, um, okay, I, I'm, I'm actually really loved. Many, many years ago, I, I have only ever one time disciplined somebody else's child. Because that's just something you don't do, right? I mean, you know, you discipline your own children, but you don't discipline anybody else's child. But there was one child who was uh, the child of our, our very dear friends, and this this kid was man he was he was wild he was out of control and his parents 
it got to the point where they were afraid to discipline him because it was just too, it was too um, dramatic of a situation. So they got to the point where they, they weren't disciplining him. And he, he was just getting more and more and more out of control. And so somehow, I don't remember how, we, he ended up spending the weekend with us somehow. And <laughs> undoubtedly, that was at Cheryl's invitation, not mine. But during the course of the weekend, he just, you know, just went into all of his little antics. And one thing I vividly remember was opening the front door of our house, and he was standing there on the porch with the hose in his hand, turned up full blast, and the minute we opened the door, he just started hosing down, you know, the entryway to our house. And that was just one of the things that he did in the, <laughs> the brief time that he was with us. But there came a point where I just thought, okay, we, we're not going to survive 24 hours unless, <laughs> unless something is done here. So I took it upon myself, like I said, I never have done this before or since, uh, to discipline him. And I took him upstairs and I just paddled him. And, you know, uh, there was much protestation on his part. I mean, he was giving me all the reasons why, you know, I could not do this and this was wrong. And he was... Uh, you know, he really got to a point where he was so out, he would bite and scream and kick and roll and convulse and everything. And his, his mother told me she thought that he was demon-possessed. That's how bad it had gotten. And, you know, if he was, I was going to make sure <laughs> that demon was exercised before he left our home. So anyway, I really... I really gave him a couple of whacks. And I did it a couple times. And you know, here's the, the, the most amazing thing. Seriously, the next day, he got up, and all he wanted to do was be right at my side the whole, the whole day. And then later, <laughs> later, you know, a bunch of things happened after this, and his parents, we told him what went on and everything. And they were, you know, a little bit like, are you sure that was okay? But then when they saw the result, they were like, wow, you know, that was, uh, thank you for doing that. And, um, but sometime later, they were uh, talking to him and they were just asking him, you know, what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said, I want to be Pastor Brian. <laughs> His name was Brian, actually. Uh, but he was talking about me, you know. Uh, but somehow, in this brief little moment of discipline, it really did something for him. And um, he's a wonderful young guy today. He's in his 20s, and we've known the family all these years, so we're still on great terms, even after I did that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, he was on a course. Uh, really, he was on a dangerous course. And had that gone unchecked, I mean, I'm sure at some point his parents would have gotten a clue and started doing that. But, you know, um, he was on a dangerous course and discipline and correction brought him, and of course, this is what it does, it brings people back from that path of destruction and that's what it does for us. God disciplines us because he loves us because he knows that the course that we're on is going to harm us more if we continue on that course. So a loved child will be corrected. 
Um, also, we see here in the passage that those without correction are actually not children. He says in verses 7 and 8, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, if you're without correction of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Oh, this is, this is serious stuff because it's telling us that if we can sin without correction, without the intervention of God, without the discipline of God, then we're really not God's children. One of the evidences that we are the children of God is that we can't sin and get away with it. There's going to be a disciplinary act on God's part at a certain point to correct us and to get us back to where we need to be. If that never happens... It's an indicator that we're not really the children of God. So the children of God, because they're loved by God, should expect discipline to come. We should expect discipline to come our way. So God is a good, loving father, disciplines his children. Secondly, discipline can be and, and really has to be painful. And he tells us, notice in verse 11, he says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. You know, I love the honesty of the Bible. That's one of the beauties of Scripture. You know, Scripture is honest. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't um, deny the obvious. You know, the interesting thing is some preachers will uh, sugarcoat things. Some preachers would give the impression that, you know, we would never have any kind of painful experience. But that's not the case. Because discipline is painful. It can be very unpleasant. There's no chastening that seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. What, it, what does discipline look like? Well, I just want to take it primarily from what it looks like here in Hebrews. What's happening with these people? Well, we know that they're being persecuted. Now, in their particular case, the author is implying that this persecution, God is using this as a disciplinary measure with them. Now, like I said, not, not every persecution would be disciplined, but in this case, it seems to be that that's what he's saying. So, persecution can be a form of discipline. Uh, if, if God's people are living in disobedience to him, he can use and sometimes will use hostile forces to bring them back to a place of obedience and trust in him. But the other thing that we see with them is that they suffered loss. They lost possessions, we know. They took the spoiling of their goods with joy. They lost position. Uh, in some cases, they lost persons in the sense of, you know, relationships maybe uh, were broken as a result. And so these are the kinds of things that can happen when we're going through a time of chastisement. Also, sickness would be another um, means by which God might chasten us at times. As we go, like I said earlier through the Psalms, as David said, before I was afflicted, I think what he's talking about there is some sort of sickness. And there's several Psalms that seem to indicate that there was, a, uh, there was a sickness involved in David's particular sufferings. So persecution, loss of possession, position, relationships, sickness, these are all the things that sometimes can be 
the, the means through which God disciplines us. But again, for clarification, I'm not saying that when you're persecuted or sick or you lose your possession position, that, that always means that it's, a, that it's a chastisement. It doesn't always mean that, but it can mean that. So that's why we have to be honest uh, when these things are happening to us. We have to be honest and we have to look at our own hearts and we have to ask God to search our hearts to say, Lord, you know, what, what is at the root of this? What is, what is behind this? Are you trying to correct me? Now, sometimes it's pretty obvious. We know it. And, it. and it becomes crystal clear immediately. These things start happening. We already know that we've got issues, that we're in sin in certain areas, and we, may, we connect those dots. Okay, this is, yeah, this is because of that, and we get things right. But sometimes it's not that easy. And that's why we need to think it through. We need to pray about it and consider it. And, you know, there, there are times when it might be a little more difficult to draw that conclusion, but that is indeed the case. So chastening is painful. But the objective, of course, is to always bring us back into the right place. Whenever we think of discipline, whether it's God disciplining us or let's say church discipline. Church discipline is something that's not talked too much about today. But you know, there's a place in scripture where discipline is to take place in the context of the church, the body of Christ. When people sin, and not just sin because we all sin, but when people are in open disobedience to God, open revolt to God's authority in his word, uh, there are times when church leaders are called upon to discipline people. Sometimes that discipline is manifested in, uh, it's an older term, but you know, the idea of an excommunication. It's, it's really the picture of somebody being set outside the, the community for a season so they can repent. Now, here's my point. My point is this, though. Discipline, whether it's God disciplining us directly or discipline in the context of the church, the objective is always restoration. God disciplines us always with the objective of restoration. He, he disciplines us always with the ultimate objective of blessing. And so that brings us to our third point. God's discipline is for our benefit. It's always to benefit us in the end. It's always to bring us back into the place of communion with him. It's always to bring us back to the place of blessing that we've fallen out of because of our disobedience. And he says that here. Notice, he says regarding um, the human fathers uh, who corrected us and we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, listen, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Uh, so no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this is God's objective. He disciplines us with the objective of, of restoring us, 
bringing us back into that place as he puts it here, that we might be partakers of his holiness, that there might result from this chastening the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So discipline is never from God or, or should never be from church leadership uh, with the motivation of you know, a, a total and complete rejection of the person it should always be with the bigger objective of seeing them restored. Seeing them brought back into communion with the body of Christ. Seeing them brought back into that place where they are uh, being blessed and are uh, in turn a blessing to others. And, And I say that because Whenever there's a necessity, and I'm, I'm speaking here on the, on the level of the church, whenever there's a necessity for discipline, people can sometimes have the wrong view of it and think that it's just, you know, harshness on the part of leadership. Oh, that's so harsh. That's so, that's so cruel. Why would, you, why would you tell that person? I've had this question asked to me before, you know, when we've had at times to discipline people over the years by saying, you know, at at this season in life, you need to just not be part of this fellowship until you can get these things sorted out in your life. And people then come and say, well, that's that's harsh, that's cruel. How could you be so um, unkind to a person as to do that? But that's never the motive, or it should never be the motive. No, we're doing this just like a parent disciplining the child. We're doing this for their benefit. We're doing this for their profit. We're doing this because this is going to hopefully cause them to realize how serious this offense is. It's going to cause them to get things right with the Lord, to get things right with people around them. It's going to cause them ultimately to get back to the place that they want to be. That's what this is always about. God disciplines us for our own benefit. Unlike earthly fathers who, you know, occasionally just discipline out of the fact that, you know, I'm going to just do this because it's going to be better for me if this kid is not acting like this. God's greater concern is with us. It's, it's for their benefit that the discipline is going to come, that we might be partakers of his holiness. The idea here is that we would, as a result of the correction, that we would enjoy a deeper uh, communion with God, partaking of his holiness, enjoying a deeper communion with him, being more conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and that as a result also there would be the peaceable fruit of righteousness. See, righteousness is what God is wanting to bring out of this. Correcting those uh, areas of our life where unrighteousness has perhaps been more the, the manifestation of our um, hearts. Now he wants to correct that and produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So since this is the case, how are we to respond? That's what he tells us in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. 
and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. What he's saying is, and he's, he's just using this picturesque language, we're not to be despondent when God chastens us. We're not to despair when God chastens us. We're to embrace the, the chastening. We're to recognize that it's through this that God is going to restore us. He's going to bring about healing. So the, the hands that hang down in despondency, uh, the knees that are feeble in despair, the feet that are, are taking us in, in the wrong direction, no, he, the call is really to faith and obedience that will bring about the healing that God is wanting to see happen in our lives. So we accept it as from the Lord, knowing that this is a manifestation of God's love for me. You know, we, when we talk about the love of God, we rarely include the chastening of the Lord. When we think about the love of God, many times we just think about it in such a, for lack of a better way to express it, you know, we think of it in a mushy sense. You know, how many people are there today that just think in terms of, well, you know, well, God loves me. And what that means is God wants the best for me. And what that means is that, you know, whatever makes me feel good is really what, what it's primarily all about. And so God in his love, he's just, he just wants me to do whatever makes me feel best. And he's, he's just loving and patient and compassionate and kind and good. And he, he is loving and patient and compassionate and kind and good. He's all of those things. But in that love, he's also a strict disciplinarian because that's real love. That's true love. You know, if a parent says they love their child but they don't protect their child, what kind of love is that? If a parent says they love their child and they see their child going down a path of destruction and they don't seek to correct them, is that really love? No, it's not. It's sentimentality. It's something... Whatever it is, it's not real love. But, but in our mindset today, and, and this is common among Christians today. This isn't just the world's mentality. You, you hear Christians all the time saying, well, you know, and I, I've heard this over and over again. People living in sin, and when they're called on it, they say, hey, you know, don't talk to me about that because I know that God loves me. Well, God loves you, I agree, but... If you're really his child, expect to be disciplined because part of God's love is correction. Part of God's love is discipline. You know this is a fact. It could be a scientific fact. It's, it's definitely a fact from the sociological, psychological side of things. Children, well, we use the term, it's very appropriate. What is a spoiled child? A child is a, a, a spoiled child is a child that's never been disciplined. What does it mean spoiled? It means they're, they're wrecked. 
That's what, to, something that's spoiled is ruined, it's wrecked. And that's what oftentimes happens when a parent takes no interest in the, the, the ultimate well-being of the child, refusing to discipline them, we say that, well, that's, that child is spoiled. They've been ruined because they've never been corrected. God loves you too much to let you go uncorrected. His love for you is so deep and it's so thorough and it's so real that for you and me as his children, if we are drifting into sin, if we're turning away from him, if we're moving toward the path of destruction, he's going to intervene and he's going to discipline us to save us from spoiling, to save us from the wreckage that we would bring upon ourselves. So rather than despising the chastening of the Lord, rather than being despondent in the face of chastisement, rather than despairing over the fact that God's uh, correcting us, we ought to be welcoming it. That's what the author is saying. Strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, suck it up. Realize this is for your benefit. God's, God's helping you right now. You see, this is something that I don't think ever crossed the minds of these Hebrews at the, in, until this moment. They, they probably never thought for a moment that their problems were partially due to God himself intervening and dealing with them. So he opens their eyes. You've, you've forgotten this element. He lets them know. He reminds them. You know, as I think about my own life as a Christian, you know, I, I can think of points in my life where I would have to say that God disciplined me. He chastened me. And I would readily say as well that it was painful. It was not joyful at all. But I can say with you know, hindsight now, it, it did what God intended it to do. It yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And I remember one uh, specific situation where there was definitely a, a chastening from the Lord uh, that, that you know, came upon me. And I recognized it at a certain point and it was such an unpleasant thing. I, I wanted desperately to be out from under that, that discipline. But, you know, I could, I could see clearly enough to know as well that what was happening needed to happen. And so I remember this one moment, it's over 30 years ago, but I remember one moment very clearly saying, Lord, I, I understand that this is discipline and I don't like it and I wish I could be freed from it, but don't stop it until you have dealt with this thing in me because I, I, I want to go I just want to move on from this and whether or not the prayer had anything to do with it God did just that he just kept the fire up for a good season and you know like I said looking back with hindsight I could see that that was a that's, that was a, an act of discipline on his part that 
brought about the desired result, the correction that needed to take place in my life. So as we look at this, the reality of the chastening of the Lord, we face it with faith and obedience. With faith in God's love. You've got these things going on in your life and the devil's whispering in your ear saying, God doesn't love you. That's why this is happening. The reality is God does love you and that's why this is happening. He loves you so much that he's not gonna let you continue down this path. He loves you so much that he's not gonna let you uh, get away with these things because he knows the danger. He knows that they are truly detrimental and he is going to step in like a good parent would and he's gonna bring the necessary correction. So we are to, by faith, embrace it. We are to respond in obedience and the promised result is healing. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but listen, here's the wonderful truth. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Chastening doesn't go on endlessly. It's corrective. And when the correction is made, the chastening passes and the peaceable fruit of righteousness and the healing comes. We do, to some degree, have a, a, at least some control over the duration of chastening. The sooner you receive the correction, the sooner you can move on beyond the discipline. Don't resist. Don't persist in the, the sin that's brought the discipline. No, receive that correction. And know that as that discipline takes place and as that correction comes, that afterward it will yield. It will pass. It won't be there indefinitely. It is for a, a specific time and purpose. And as we respond to God in obedience, that brings us through that season. There's one final thing that I want to say, and it's here in the text. In the, at the end of verse 11, when he speaks about yielding the peaceable fruit of righteousness, he says to those who have been trained by it. And there's just one other thing I want to add as we close. The, the context is primarily about correction for sin and, you know, the chastening that comes in order to produce that. But there's also this uh, slightly different element that's being spoken of here, and it's the element of training. You see, because like I said, it's not always the case that if you're suffering or you're afflicted in these different ways, if it's persecution or if it's sickness or if it's loss of whatever, it's not always the case that it's a directly connected to some disobedience in your life. Sometimes it is, and that's been my point. But let's also recognize that sometimes it's not that. For some people, it's rather, it's part of the training that we must go through to become stronger in our faith. 
And when we think of training, and of course training, you can apply that idea to so many different uh, possibilities, but let's just think of it in terms of physical training. The objective of physical training is physical fitness, right? And in order to become physically fit, in order to become stronger, in order to build your endurance and things like that, there, there's training that you must go through that's going to be challenging. It's going to be painful in many ways. Uh, but as you press through it, and as you do it, the end result is it's, it's a profit to you. You end up being fit. And so there's this other aspect that is true for us as well. You might be going through affliction, hardship, difficulty, challenges. And as you think it through and as you pray about it, and you, you know, you're just like, I can't, I, I don't see that there's, that this is connected to some sin. And it might not be because it might be instead God is just using these things to strengthen you because that's what he is wanting to do. He's wanting us to be strong. He's wanting us to grow spiritually. He's wanting us to have spiritual strength. He's wanting us to have uh, endurance. He's wanting us to be trained and fit spiritually. And so... If we can't make the connection between what we're experiencing and some sin, then we need to recognize this is training. God is putting me through a program of training here that is going to, again, bring about good fruit and righteousness in the end. That, that, that's his end game with it. And so faith and obedience will produce holiness, righteousness, and will heal the things that need healing. And it's all because of God's love. So we all know God loves us. And we can all boldly say, God loves us. And we can all and should talk about the grace of God and the compassion of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. And it's all true and it's all part of his love. And let's not forget the chastening of the Lord because that's part of his love too. That shows us he really does love us. So Lord, we thank you that you are a truly loving father. And Lord, that your love for us is so strong that it will at times manifest itself in chastening to correct us, to prevent us from self-destruction, to keep us from the path of sin and misery. Lord, we thank you that you care that much for us. And so, Lord, whether it be a, a direct uh, result of sin that's being corrected or whether it be training that we need personally so that we become stronger as the children and the servants of God. Lord, help us to embrace by faith and to obey that we might see that fruit that you 
are intending as the outcome of these things. Lord, I pray that many would be encouraged today and comforted and blessed and just reaffirmed in their sonship because, Lord, you do love them. Therefore, you have chastened them. And you've done it all for their benefit. May they just lay hold of that, embrace that. Help us, Lord, to see you as our loving Father and to recognize all the implications of that and to rejoice even when it shows itself in correction, knowing that that also is one of the ways you express your love. So we receive it, we embrace it, and we trust that you're doing an eternal work through it. So help us to keep all of that at the forefront of our minds. And help us, Lord, to continue to trust you, to have faith, and to rejoice in your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.